Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineering Podcast. I am, as always, Sotak Andrei. And this will be a bit of a special episode. But before we get into that, I would like to apologize for the lack of content in the last couple of weeks. Um, work has been a bit busy, you know, with New Year's and new clients and that sort of stuff. And also I have been doing my talk for the Diet MBA online conference, which I'm very much uh, honored to have the opportunity to be featured there. So today is, uh, like I said, going to be a bit of a special episode because in, in this one, I will uh, go over my top 19 lessons from 2019. So I compiled the list of the um, most important things I sort of learned and I guess in a way relearned this past year and we are already already in February so I think it would be a good time to get this off my chest. Now I have been giving them some thought and uh, that's why it took me a while but uh, I think I'm now uh, able to go through them and uh, perhaps you'll be able to use some of these and uh, you know implement some of them into your own life. So with that uh, let's get started. I categorized them sort of in three categories if you will. First will be overall life lessons, stuff that can be applied all over the board. The second will be training related stuff and the third and final one will be nutrition uh, considerations. So the first category and the most important one in my opinion is what I called overall life lessons and in this one I will have to give uh, first of all credit where credit is due. First off I want to give credit to Jordan Peterson's work. He has been a fantastic, uh, rather a very large influence on me almost for almost four years now, but especially the last couple of years, like for, I know he's controversial, I don't want to spend uh, much more time than is needed, but I would highly encourage you to check out his work. If you haven't picked up his book yet, please do. Uh, 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos is fantastic. I recommend his podcast. His lectures are just incredible. And I especially think that the Q&A section uh, at the end of those talks, the answers he gives to some of the questions that he's, he's asked are really, really good. And um, you will find, or at least I do, that very often it uh, it uh, answers a question that I myself am struggling with as well. So with that, let's get into overall life lessons. Lesson number one, discipline equals freedom. Everything you want is on the far side of hard work. Now, some of you probably recognize the first part of that statement. It's uh, one that Jocko Willink has popularized. He, uh, It's his... Uh, motto if you wish and it couldn't be more true and the second part is something I heard Tim Kennedy say on a Joe Rogan episode again everything you want is on the far side of hard work and just no way around it like um, I know that's for some uh, the first part might be a bit uh, weird like how, what do you mean that discipline equals freedom isn't discipline like the opposite of freedom like if you or have to be disciplined, you can't really be free because free means to do whatever you want impulsively, right? Uh, no, <laughs> actually you will find, and I learned this myself, especially in the diet realm, like if I'm not disciplined and I just start eating randomly, 
Um, I might be free in the moment, but uh, down the line, I, I usually regret it. And not only that, but uh, I also don't really hit my goals. So I also don't really enjoy that meal at, that much because I know that this is actually detracting me from your goals. And the same with life in general. Like if you want to be able to do, you know, a leisure work, you first have to take care of the stuff that's really important and that requires discipline. So there's just no way around it. The road to freedom, the road to financial security, the road to a fantastic physique, whatever your goals might be, it will imply or it will require a lot of hard work and discipline is the way. Second lesson, extreme ownership. Your circumstances are your responsibility. Again, this is one of those that people might look at and be like, what do you mean that is my my circumstances are my responsibility? Like, what do you mean like I was born, perhaps I was born blind, like someone was born blind, you know, and what do you mean is their fault? Of course, that's not what I mean. It's just a general framework and rule of thumb and attitude to have. Like, I understand, believe me, I know it full well myself that there are things I wish I, <laughs> I would have been given a different choice, a different option, but I haven't. So I gotta deal with what I have. And this is the same for everyone. And your circumstances might not be your fault, but sure as hell, they are your responsibility. And think about it. If you don't adopt this attitude, like, what's the alternative? You blame everyone else besides you. Like, you don't adopt any responsibility. I remember this is one, again, going back to Jordan. He said that, uh, I think he read it from some book or something, that uh, the story goes that there was this woman who was at some sort of a cocktail party and she asked this therapist, you know, she she explained the situation she was in. It wasn't the most pleasant one. And uh, she said to the therapist, please tell me that it's my fault and not world's fault, basically, not someone else's. And the therapist was surprised. Like, what do you mean by that? And she said, you know, if it's my fault, I can change that. But if it isn't, how am I supposed to change the entire world? And I think that's very telling, like... If you adopt this attitude that it is your responsibility and it is within your control, you actually can do something about it. Whereas if you blame some external source, you can't control the actions of others. Third point, what you want the most is to be found where you least want to look. Again, this is one of those on the surface uh, paradoxical ones like but it's true, like, first of all, if what you want is really important to you, you probably have looked in the obvious places. And uh, if you haven't found it, that you probably, uh, it's hidden somewhere where you don't really want to look. Now, again, this is a life lesson, but we can just track it back to training. Like, for example, um, I have learned in my experience that many people, the reason why they are stalled, for example, is because they are avoiding something that they know they should be doing, like they might be avoiding certain lifts that's necessary for them to progress, they might be avoiding um, a certain style of training, like for example, if you 
if you're not happy about your leg training, but you only train them once every two weeks, then you should probably train them more often. And that's a very obvious example. But just like I said, this can be um, these lessons can be scaled across a multitude of um, scenarios and um, scales. So we can look at the micro level all the way up to the macro level. Fourth point, the fool is the precursor to the savior. Again, I think this was something that's coming from Carl Jung, but the basically what it says is that in order for you to become excellent at something, first you have to be willing to suck at it, and that's, and that's true uh, regardless of what you want to achieve. When you first start, you're going to be bad at it, and that's okay, and not only is it okay, it's necessary. You can't just jump straight to the expert level you have to be willing to humble yourself and and to swallow your pride and all that good stuff and that's uh of course most commonly symbol uh, symbolized by the belt system when it comes to martial arts for example like when you start jiu-jitsu you're a white belt and uh, you can't be a black belt without first being a white belt number five tell the truth or at least don't lie another rule uh, inspired by Jordan's book, 12 Rules for Life. And uh, this is one of those that thankfully has been one of my uh, principles throughout pretty much my entire life, mostly because I just found it easier. Because, you know, when you lie, you have to actively try to remember what you, what, what, what the lie was. And that's a very easy downward spiral to get into, especially if you use a lie to alter reality, so to speak. And in the short term, you might get positive outcome in quotation marks, but down the line, you will always pay for pay for it. And there's just no way around it. Again, if you want to track this back to fitness, if you work with a coach, for example, and you know you have been overeating don't blame the coach or at least you know don't lie to them tell them the truth tell them that you have been overeating and then you can figure out a plan of uh, how to deal with that whereas if you don't tell the truth and you lie and your coach doesn't know and they might actually you know believe you that you were honestly um, adhering to the plan then, you know, it's nearly not really hard for neither for you and neither for the coach. So that's just tell the truth. Um, now, of course, the truth is a tricky thing. You can't always know what the truth is. That's why the second part is so important. At least don't lie. So there are many situations where you don't know what the truth is, but you sure as hell know what the truth isn't. <laughs> and that's what you should avoid telling or bringing into reality by acting it out. Number six, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Another one of Jordan's uh, key tenets and so, so relevant when it comes to our fitness industry. Like we all compare ourselves to, you know, others who are uh, better looking than us, bigger than us, leaner than us, more successful than us uh, and so on and so on and so on. And that's helpful in a way because it might help you move forward. But if you listen to the episode I did with Eric Helms, you will quickly find out that there are very many downsides to that. And if this comparison actually paralyzes you 
and stop you from taking action that is not helpful, not to mention that uh, everyone's life circumstances are different. So it's really not uh, not all that beneficial for you to compare yourself to someone else who has been given a different set of cards, you know, just compare yourself to, to who you were and try being your former self. And that's pretty much the best you can do. Number seven, the final one in this category and probably the most or the hardest lesson I had to, hardest pill I had to swallow um, this year again and got reminded of this year again, this past year, is that you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. I recommend to check out a video called How Do You Help Someone Who's Lost? I will link it in the description of this episode because it's just a Three minutes from Jordan is absolutely fantastic. I think I've listened to it like a hundred times, both in my personal life and both in my coaching business. I try to help everyone. I, in a way, take it personally (laughs) or take it as a personal failure if I can't help someone. But I've had to learn that, you know, first off, you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped, but also... Sometimes the best form of help you can give someone is to stop helping them or stop trying to help them, stop reaching out to them. And every now and again, you might find that that's what someone requires to actually get brought back to reality. And I guess uh, an extension of this is when it comes to complaining, like that's probably another lesson I could have put in here. Like don't let anyone hear you complain and not even yourself uh, that's a stoic quote and one I very much like and uh, to intertwine it with this helping uh, issue. Sometimes people don't even want help. They just want someone who they can they can complain to. And if you entertain this complaint or if you listen to them, then you give them basically a pass, so to speak. And Every now and again, telling them that, listen, I tried helping you once, twice, three times, however many times it was. I gave you solutions. I gave you options. You didn't listen to me. I'm true with that. If you don't want to change, that's fine. But stop complaining. It's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to me. It's just detracting me. And we might have to go our separate ways. And that's uh, true in life. That's true in coaching. That's true everywhere. All right, moving on. Second category, training lessons. Lesson number one. Lesson number eight in total. The loads you're using are irrelevant if your execution is off. This has been one of my long-standing principles. It's just has been one I have been uh, reminded of again and again this past year, both from my own training and both from losing, uh, you, uh, looking at others. And, um, you know, I see it all the time, like people will use weights that they have no business using simply to either to impress others or to be able to write down a higher number. And it's just useless. Like, yes, loads matter. And we'll touch on that in the following point, but they are only as useful as your ability to to direct that load, to quote uh, Joe Bennett. So if you are using, let's say, 100 kilos on something, but your execution is off, you might be better off just using 85 or 90 with a better execution. Like your musculature will receive the same stimulus and your joint health will probably be better off uh, long term. Now, with that said, point number nine is progressive overload or getting stronger in moderate rep ranges is still key. Use a logbook. 
even though it might sound like I'm contradicting myself, I'm not. Insofar as your execution is on point, there is just no way around progressive overload and there is no way around the reality that you will have to get stronger over time in order to get bigger. Now, like I said, um, that doesn't mean that strength is the only thing. That doesn't mean that you just have to chase higher and higher weights or touch new weights and you know you get to just throw form out out the window altogether no it means that while keeping form execution as good as possible or standardized in a way you will have to get stronger and stronger otherwise you just won't be able to grow and i wish there was a way around this but there isn't number 10 there's only so much volume you can do in any given session. This has been something that I've known for a while, but this past year has really um, just confirmed that for me. I have found that for major muscle groups, I'm fine with as few as five to six sets, and I'm really pushing myself with eight to 10 sets. Like anything past 10 sets is just too much for me in any given session. And for smaller groups, that's halved, like, for for smaller groups i sometimes only do maybe two to three sets but for something like you know chest or back or legs eight sets is around the sweet spot for me then maybe for chest because it's a weaker body part for myself but uh, anything more than that is just either uh, redundant insofar as people are doing similar exercises that look different to them but internally they accomplish the same thing load the muscle the same way it doesn't change muscle length or anything like that that's one downside and the second one is that you can you can only fit in so much productive volume in any given session and past a certain point you're just putting in work for the sake of it or you're actually getting a worse outcome insofar as you're creating a way too big of a disruption and you will just get sore for nothing like there is a, there is a point past where the muscle will get all of the simulation it can get for any given day, and past that you're just creating a bigger hole in your recovery ability. So I would say ten sets max in any given session. I would say start with like five to six and go from there and just do more sessions in a week. Eleven, find exercises that fit you and can be progressed for a long time. So notice I didn't say do the big three, do the bench press, do the squat. I said find exercises that fit you. So I don't care what it is. It can be a machine. However, I also added the second part of which can be progressed for a long time because I think I also fell into this trap of picking an exercise which might fit you fine and might feel fantastic. But if it's some sort of cable, one arm thingy where, you know, the stack goes up in five kilo increments uh it's a one-arm variation you can't really progress that i mean think about it like yes you can put in more effort and you can get in a couple of extra reps and all that good stuff and you can maybe attach a smaller plate but if you find a compound movement that actually fits you and that's very often can be a machine in far actually i have actually switched a large part of my training for machines because they fit me. Um, they still allow me to be progressive. It can be pushed uh, safely. I don't have to worry about, you know, 
injuring myself or that good stuff. Now, it doesn't mean that you will have to avoid the compounds. In, uh, actually, it might be the opposite for some people. Some people might be built uh, excellently to do the compounds, and that's awesome. It's about, like I said, finding what fits you. Uh, don't don't be attached to this notion that you have, have to do any certain exercise. You don't, but at the same time, also don't think that you can just dick around with super, super, quote-unquote, isolated stuff, not progress loads at all for months on end and thinking you will get bigger because you won't. Point number 12. People should be much more afraid of undertraining than overtraining. Considering the um, listenership of this podcast, considering the people I work with, people I see in the gyms I work in, most people dick around and their biggest issue is undertraining not overtraining is overtraining real it absolutely is do people actually overtrain yes will people overtrain from lifting weights i am highly skeptical if you're a mma fighter for example and you have to combine two three four workouts in a day yes that's a very real concern but people who like you know, do an hour of lifting a day and they'll be like, well, you know, I have already trained two days in a row. I have to take two days off. Seriously? Do you now? Give me a break. Like, there's also in extension to this, there's this notion that, you know, you absolutely have to take, I don't know, maybe one or two days off in a week. Like, a day where you don't do anything. Like, seriously? Like, people have been doing physical labor 10, 10 hours a day, like 15 hours a day, like, the stories you hear, I don't know where I heard this, but again, it was in the Russian period, like people crawling through a tunnel of I don't know how many miles long just to get to work, and then they would work for 8 to 10 hours a day and then crawl back home and do it every single day. Now, they were dead by 30, <laughs> and that's not my point. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying that if they were able to do that and still be alive for a fairly long time... <laughs> you will probably be fine if you train an hour a day. You are very adaptable and you are not so fragile, so don't worry about overtraining. Worry about undertraining and not doing enough. Number 13, genetics are still key and no amount of hard work will overcome them. This is a very bitter pill to swallow for some because there is this notion that, you know, you can outwork your genetics and it's all about dedication and hard work, bro. It's not. I don't care what anyone says. Look up Kenyon Third or however his Instagram uh, handle is. Look at how he looked at 13 years old. Look at how he looked at 16. He basically was born jacked. Look at Casey Nadolski, for example. If you want to see people who are blessed when it comes to lifting weights and musculature... I can show you pictures of how I looked after four years of training. I looked like nothing. I mean, a month ago, I was, I said that I was lifting for eight years and it was a she and she was like, well, I'm sorry, but it doesn't really show. (laughs) And I would consider myself, I am more muscular than 99% of the people who are actually natural. But hey, genetics are not on my side in the sense that I don't have elite genetics. I think I have okay genetics. I have probably average genetics, but I'm far from a genetic freak and the freaks are out there and uh, they will be bigger, stronger, faster than you, no matter how much you work or no matter how little they work. It's just, this is not to 
take away from their achievements or to uh, dissuade you from you from uh, trying to put in your you know put your best foot forward and uh, give it your all. I'm not saying that. Just saying that going back to point number six, comparing yourself to others is not really helpful. Uh, but at the same time, let's not let's not be delusional and let's stop this whole oh genetics only matter later. No, they make a huge difference. And actually, had a discussion with Abel about this that he complimented my rear delts and he knows that my chest sucks, for example. And uh, it's just the uh, cars we have been dealt. Like if I don't train my chest. I don't know who is who does like I train it hard. I train it intelligently. I train it often. I train it with good execution. I am getting stronger, and it's still, relatively speaking, a weak body part, and probably will always be. Now, is it getting better? Yes. Will it ever be an outstanding body part? No. Will it ever match someone who has been blessed with a better genetic structure and propensity to put muscle on that uh, area? No. And it's just reality. There's nothing I can do about it. Number 14. Drugs don't just, quotation marks, help a little. Like, there is this silly notion going on that, oh, drugs only help a little, and they don't do all that much, and you have to steer train. Like, yes, of course you have to tr- steer train, but give me a fucking break. I work in a gym. I see people all the time. I know who... <laughs> Well, first off, I, I can tell the difference when someone starts taking them and doesn't admit it. Like, suddenly they just, you know, every now and again you can tell just from the side effects that acne and oily skin and all that stuff, but also the muscularity and it's just night and day. And uh, I can also see people who admit that they are on and I see that the fluctuations in their physiques when they are not on, when they are off cycle and the difference is huge. Like I was, I was just uh, speaking with someone about this yesterday, and he was telling me that there's roughly a six to seven kilo difference in muscularity, and also about as much of a difference in body fat when he's on versus when he's off. Like imagine if you took your current physique and you started taking a moderate amount, like maybe four to five hundred milligrams of stuff, which again I say it's moderate. It's not little, but it's also far from anything uh, remotely being high and imagine that you suddenly became five to six kilos more muscular with simultaneously having five to six kilos uh, less of a body fat like are you really going to tell me that's only a little that's literally five to six years of natural progress easily like we're talking a 10 kilo body composition difference like that's night and day like you will look like a different person and we're talking about achieving this in a matter of months and then we're still going to play the only they only have a little card come on now let's be real of course they still have to train of course they still have to diet with that stuff but naturals do that as well and they don't look like enhanced people why don't they because first off genetics matter and second drugs work and they work very very well all right so final uh, category of lessons is the diet related stuff number 15 the key to long-term weight loss slash maintenance is a diet and also meal frequency that you can actually enjoy i think the best 
example of someone who has been very vocal about this is Greg Doucette. Greg has become a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. This has become sort of my go-to cardio entertainment material. But he's very vocal about uh, eating stuff that not only offers you a high amount of satiety slash food volume per calorie, but also stuff you can actually enjoy. And he's completely right. Like the reason people go off their plans and especially why they regain their lost weight is because they were doing something stupid in the long term, something they could have never adhered to long term. And then they went back to their old habits. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, there another notion that I hate is that you have the diet that you uh, you have been using to lose weight is the same one you have to use when you finish your diet. That's not true, but you still need some amount of structure. So, for example, if you have been eating, you know, salads and stuff, but you hate those salads, long term you probably won't stick to them and if you replace a kilo of salad with a kilo of ice cream that's not gonna end well so what's the secret the secret is eating delicious quote-unquote diet friendly and what i mean by that is simply a high food volume low calorie density high satiety foods that you actually enjoy um for example that's cottage cheese for me i love it and I use sweetener, and some people, you know, look at me and they, oh, you're using sweetener, why do you use sweetener, why can't you just eat it plain, and those are the same people who will then tell me that, oh my god, I can't eat that stupid cottage cheese thing, it tastes so bad, and they will hit a, a tub of ice cream instead, so don't make your, your, your life or your existence more miserable than it needs to be, Eat some stuff that you actually enjoy. You know, use some condiments, use some sweetener, uh, make smarter food selections. You don't have to eat bland foods. Um, I have this rule that you shouldn't eat anything that you actively hate. Now, I think there is a fine line to be drawn there. I think you should eat foods that are, you know, just neutral. Not everything you eat has to be enjoyable to a high extent or not everything has to give you an insane amount of pleasure but at the same time it should be at least bearable you should be like ah well i don't enjoy this but i also don't hate it it's it's just okay it's whatever i can get it down i'm the same with salads like do i enjoy eating them no do i hate eating them no it's just whatever it's necessary and that's perfectly fine and that perhaps should make up maybe a third of your diet and I think the last two thirds should be stuff that's good for you but also you can actually enjoy you like and you can eat long term and that's the secret number 16 the more extreme your goals the more extreme the sacrifices you have to make in return again this might be obvious on the surface but you would be surprised to find out how uh, not obvious it is for most people the episode I did with Abel is a very good uh, one to listen to if you want to dive in more into this uh, notion. But basically, the leaner you want to be, the more muscular you want to be, uh, the more sacrifice you have to make. And that's just reality. And there is no way around it. And if you don't want to make the sacrifices, that's fine. You just have to be very realistic with yourself and realize that someone who has extreme body composition 
whether in the muscular or in the leanness, and they are probably doing some extreme things in return. Now, some of that might be drugs, which again are extreme insofar as they sacrifice health for it, and a bunch of other stuff. Might be dietary choices, might be extreme hunger, uh, whatever it is, they are probably not comfortable uh, when they look like that. And if you want to look like that too, then you probably have to be just as if not more uncomfortable. Number 17, how many calories someone else eats is irrelevant. Move more if you want to eat more. That's a bit of a pet peeve of mine because every now and again, you know, I post my calorie intake and this and that. People will message me that, oh my God, you're so lucky that you get to eat so much more. And first off, I'm not lucky. I My quote-unquote metabolism is very average, just pretty much, just like everything else about my physique. My colleague, for example, gets into stage condition almost, or not not far off, he gets 7% body fat or something like that, 67% body fat, eating almost as much as I eat right now when I'm 10 kilos heavier and probably 10% higher in body fat. That's someone who is on the higher end of uh, calorie intake, but it's irrelevant. I eat more than I used to because I also move more than I used to. I train every single day, six days a week, and I get an average of 15,000 plus steps per day. That's the secret. And if you want to be able to eat not as much as me or someone else, but more than you currently do, that you will have to do more. It is what it is. Number 18, train to get stronger or to build muscle and diet to lose fat. Exercising to burn calories is silly and very short-sighted. I think we've all seen those people who, you know, they will hop on the up on the treadmill and try to burn off a number of calories or they were trying to, you know, train and do these metabolic workouts and whatnot, and they don't take any breaks and rest. They don't rest at all between sets because, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to lose fat. I'm trying to burn calories. And while that's, like I said, is fine, it's really short, short-sighted because long-term it might bite you in the ass. Why do I say that? Because I have seen it way too often that people who do that then just either end up hungrier and they eat more or they just become more tired and they move less. So at the end of the day, they have accomplished nothing. They still are at the same net um, energy balance, but also they haven't really put in a stimulus for muscle growth or strength development because they have been dicking around in the gym. So train to get stronger and to build muscle regardless of your dieting phase try to get stronger over time, perform challenging sets, uh, rest plenty between them, take two minutes, take three minutes, however long it needs to be. Don't try to burn the most amount of calories in that hour because the energy burn of lifting weights is negligible anyway. So just get that out of your head. If you want to lose fat, adjust your diet and that's your most most efficient strategy. Same with cardio. I think cardio should be done first off for heart health and then for, like the name says, cardiovascular conditioning. It shouldn't be done for calorie burning. Oh, and related to it, stop holding onto the treadmill when doing incline walks. Thank you. Number 19 and the final point is something that uh, I guess would deserve its own separate category, but for the 
sake of the list, I decided to just put one bullet point. Sleep is still the most potent legal anabolic tool you have at your disposal. The more, the better. Now, of course, I had to add in the legal part because there are there is stuff that's more anabolic and you can get away with not sleeping if you took enough trembolone, for example. But even that trembolone would work better if you slept enough. So when it comes to sleep, like I said, I really dislike this whole discussion that, well, you don't really need eight hours or this and that too much. Again, just like with training, most people don't sleep enough and most people don't train enough. The concern isn't overtraining and the concern certainly isn't oversleeping. So the more sleep, the better. When I am in my morning shift, I usually only get around seven because that's just life is. But when I'm in my afternoon shift, like I am right now, I sleep nine to 10 hours and it shows really, believe me, like the difference is night and day. Now, I I understand that's a privileged um, position to be in. Probably most people won't be able to get in that much. But if you can get in seven, for example, seven is still better than six. So try getting as much as possible. If possible, try having a consistent sleep and wake cycle. Try getting to, to bed at the same time each day. Try getting out of bed at the same time each day and that will go a long way. There will be much more to be said and I will try to do uh, more episodes about sleep but uh, that will conclude the list of my top lessons learned in 2019 and that will also end the episode. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you will, you will find at least some parts of this uh, list helpful try implementing as much of them as possible. Let me know if you agree. Let me know if you disagree. Let me know what were some of your lessons that I perhaps missed. Send me a message on Instagram. As always, if you enjoyed these episodes, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get these episodes from. Thank you. And uh, I will see you all in the next episode.